Welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager of the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn, and we are the hosts of the Government Ops Podcast. So you may ask yourself, what is the Government Ops Podcast? And really, it's trying to give everybody an overview of the different city departments, uh, what those departments do, what programs we offer, what services we have here. Uh, we're really excited to have folks understand and learn what we do as employees. I think there's a lot of questions that we get about our operations and what uh, what exactly we're doing at times. Uh, some of those are positive questions. Some are a little different, but uh, we want to really excited to share kind of not only the departments, but also the people that we have, uh, the wonderful folks that do everything on a daily basis. So if uh, you're ready for this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, so let's get this episode going. Hello and welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager of the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn. And today we are talking with Lee Harris. He is our city engineer. Welcome, Lee. Thanks for having me. So this is episode nine, if you're keeping track. Uh, to the 13 followers that we have, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. Uh, we're speaking directly to you with this podcast, so I want you to make Great. sure that we're doing that. Lee, we're going to talk about engineering today, and we covered a little bit of this when we talked about public works because those are really intertwined. There's a lot of coordination that goes on between them. But we purposely left some opportunity to expand on some of those things when we talked specifically about engineering. So the first question I'd ask you is, what is engineering? Well, uh, engineering, uh, what we specifically do is uh, we manage a lot of the city's infrastructure. Um, so we keep databases on uh, all the assets that we have. So it's roadways, our water lines, sanitary sewers, storm sewers. Uh, we also manage the construction projects that deal with all of that infrastructure that we have. Uh-huh. Uh, so You're the one. Yes. So whenever you see the orange barrels, uh, that's primarily uh, the engineering division that's out there been working on the roads or managing those projects. Uh, Not always because there is some street maintenance that happens with other departments, but uh, the major construction projects that that comes from our office. You get all the fan mail. Yes. So we we get a lot of the people calling in asking, when's this project going to be done? Why is it taking so long? Things like that. Um, So but yes, we manage uh, all those projects. Uh, One of the other things that we also do is that we uh, apply for grants uh, for the city. So uh, we go out and look for uh, funding opportunities for these projects to try to help fund them. So it's not all just local dollars paying for them. Uh, We get grants from uh, the state, uh, federal grants, uh, uh, grants from pretty much anywhere we can find. So, um, so we we do that as well, and then uh, we also um, deal with uh, the other infrastructure that I haven't talked about, which is traffic signals. That's another major right. um, aspect of what engineering department works with. So, so you're the reason Megan's social media engagements are up so much during this time of year when <laughs> roads are getting worked on. Yes, uh, I would say that is pro- probably uh, 90% of me doing that for yeah, you. So right, you know I apologize. No, no, thank you. No, she appreciates it. it trust helps. Me. Appreciates it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the roadway projects because I think that is a lot of what people are interested in here. And I think I want to make sure that everybody understands that when we do a roadway project, for example, right now during this podcast, it's Maple Avenue. Right. That's, that's the big one. It's a very long stretch of road. It is a one of our thoroughfares. It is a very heavily used street. When we do a project like that, though, we're not just doing it by ourselves. There are others that we include in that scenario that may also need to do work on the roads. Correct. Can you explain that a little bit? 
Yes. So when we're looking at a major roadway project like this, uh, one of the first things that we do is engage uh, internal staff. So we look at um, dealing with our street department to make sure they can tell us what exactly was wrong with the roadway. Uh, we engage our water and sewer department. Uh, we want to make sure that when we're tackling a large project like this, that we're we're looking at uh, the whole corridor as a whole. Sure. So roadway, water and sewer lines, and then we also get the other utility companies involved as well. So uh, that's where we brought Vectron in and said, hey, we're going to be doing a project. Uh, they came through and said, yeah, we need to replace gas lines along that roadway. Uh, so we coordinate those projects with them so that we don't go through and do this major project on the roadway and then Vectron come back a year later or Spectrum or AT&T and say, hey, we got to replace lines and they're digging right through our brand new pavement that we put down. Okay, um, so, so that's, there's a method to the madness. There is, yes. <clears throat> and that makes a lot of sense. I think we sometimes get criticized because people see equipment out there working and it isn't necessarily our equipment or even our contractor's equipment that do that. Uh, talk about a little bit, so when we have projects like that, we aren't necessarily the ones doing that work, right? Like, we don't have city crews out there rebuilding roads and doing major projects like Maple Avenue. No. Uh, so the crews that are out there on Maple, they are not city crews. Um, we had Vectron crews out there initially. They were doing the, the Vectron gas line relocations and installing the new main first. Yep. Uh, then we actually bid the project out for construction. We have a, a private company that's actually doing the major construction work on Maple. Uh, city crews, they would only be doing kind of minor things, maybe sure. beforehand locating where the existing lines are yep. to try to help us when we're doing the actual construction. Uh, they may have... Uh, replaced a, a fire hydrant maybe, uh, but just kind of minor work like that. All the major work um, during the whole duration of the project is contracted out to another firm to do the work. And then your guys are responsible for then making sure that that work is built according to the plan. So uh, we do some inspections out there essentially. Yes. So all of our major projects, we try to have a, a inspector out there uh, watching the construction we can't have them out there 100% of the time, but it's uh, maybe 75 to 90, somewhere in there. Uh, we do have other inspections, so we can't just keep them on site all day. Of course. Um, so, but we do have someone out there they follow. Uh, city has approved standards and specifications that we've drawn up. Uh, we use um, standards from the state of Ohio if we don't have anything. Sure. Uh, and we just make sure that everything is installed according to those standards and specs. If they're not, um, we have them go through and uh, re repair it or remove it and replace it and make it correct. Um, you've probably seen seen that happen a couple different times. If you've seen patches in some of our new roadways sure. where we've had either some failures here or there or they, they didn't put something in correctly, we make them come back in and make it right. So uh, unfortunately, those aren't things that we like to see, but um, sure they just part of construction. Sometimes it doesn't go down exactly the way you want it or they sure. may have hit an issue and they have to keep moving and they have to come back and fix it. So, so let's do something fun. Let's, let's track a project from inception to finish. Okay. okay. So let's take, for example, the Maple Avenue project. We're doing the construction work in this year right now. Mm -hmm. I know this isn't evergreen. Sorry, Megan, this is going to be no, a little dated, okay. but, but a major project for a major thoroughfare. If you're doing construction in, in this year, let's go back to where we first started even considering this project for an upgrade the way that we're doing it. Okay. What is, how does that start? Where do we decide, okay, we want to do this road. 
and we're going to take this on as a project. How do we start that? Okay. Well, the first thing would be is getting together with city staff and determining uh, where we may have issues. Um, one of the first things that we end up doing is uh, every three years we do a, a rating of our streets. So we come up when, with a, a number that ranks all the streets apples to apples so we can see which ones are failing, which ones are doing well. Sure. Um, and we know that we're going to have to resurface the bad ones. So that's kind of a starting point. Okay. So once we get a, a street rating and we figure out which roads we're going to resurface, uh, we start having meetings with other staff. We, if we see that Maple Avenue is coming up as needing resurfaced, we say, okay, well, let's go ahead and meet with water and sewer. Do we have uh, sections on Maple that have been experiencing a lot of water breaks? Or do we have um, some stormwater infrastructure there that needs upgraded? Or uh, are we having some issues with sanitary? We take a look at all that. If, if we identify some areas where we're probably going to need to do more than just a, a street resurfacing, that's when we start looking at other future projects. Sure. Um, and at that point, that's when we start planning, trying to look and see if there's any potential grants that we could go for to try to help fund some of these sure. construction projects. Um, and then if there are, that's when we start uh, coming up with a, a scope of the project to include either the failing water line, sanitary storm, along with the resurfacing. Uh, we look at uh, putting that scope together and getting that uh, approved by all city staff, making sure that council is also aware of it. Sure. Uh, and then we start pursuing grants if uh, the project is applicable. Okay, so the first step is we identify some of our areas where we think we may need some improvements or make some repairs. Yep. That can also have an economic development benefit too, right? So if we know that we've got a project that's coming down the line that's an economic development project, or we've got an area that we're particularly focusing a lot of our efforts on, we'll look at the roadways within that area to maybe also include in this list, right? Correct, yes. So, so when it comes to like the pavement rating, like do they get put on like a priority list? And so you know like, let's say Kaufman was at number two and Maple's, you know, number four. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, one and two are done in calendar year 2019, then you know, three is done in 2020 or whatever it is. And then does that mean that then Maple would, because it's next on the list, it gets bumped up, right? I mean, it just, yes. is that how it works? Uh, somewhat, yes. Better. It's not exactly like that. Uh, so we do look at all the worst ones first. Um, but just in order to try to maximize the dollars and how far they go each year, we don't always resurface a worst to first. Okay. Um, but that helps us kind of prioritize and see which ones actually need work versus yeah. uh, the ones that have been resurfaced. So as soon as we resurface one, it gets moved from the bottom to the top. So the resurfacing number mm -hmm. or pavement number kind of also matches with all your other variables. The yeah. you know economic development purposes, uh, the water, sewer, and, and whatnot. Yeah, so we, we okay. use that as kind of a basis, and then we work with, like I said, the other departments to try to determine which ones we should do when. Okay. Um, like I said, we don't always do a worst to first, because sometimes if you have the worst road in the city, but it needs a full reconstruction, uh, that can be really expensive. Right. Um, and whether I do a full reconstruction this year or next year, right. um, it's really not going to change the existing condition of the roadway. But if I can save a roadway from needing a full reconstruction by doing a mill and resurface this year on it, it's a lot e It's a lot better to spend 
a lesser amount of money to save that one than to spend maybe the se- a whole bunch more money to reconstruct one. So I can't believe I'm saying this to an engineer, but it's more art than science. In some ways. In right? some I mean, ways, there's, there's yes. A lot of art just, uh, the art being because <sighs> we're only, we only have so much money. Yes. So the art part of that is, okay, what's this going to cost? What do we think it's going to cost in the future? How do we balance what we have available versus the yes. many factors? So there is a little push and pull and yeah. trying to massage a little bit some of these things. Yeah. So we try to do uh, one of the major reconstructions like that uh, every year, but I sure. can't touch. I can't do all 10 of them, say, in one year. But if I can do right. one and keep knocking out and keep keeping six or seven every year from getting into the reconstruction, I'm doing a pretty good job. Absolutely. So, so all right. So we've got we've identified a project that we want to work on today. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say we've we've got a major thoroughfare that needs a complete restructure reconstruction like Maple. Once we've identified that street, what's our next step then to to uh, getting that project moved along? So you mentioned uh, looking for grants, applying for grants. Talk about that process. Okay, so we've identified a project. We've come up with a scope. We know we're going to do uh, complete road reconstruction. We know we're going to do uh, water line replacement on it. Uh, we've identified that it is eligible for grant funding. Sure. Then we start going through the process of applying for grants. Uh, and you know at this point what you think it's going to cost yes, to do this, or at least within a... Well, we as, we as do as an estimate, yes. Okay. So we put together an estimate, and that's usually based off of past prices that we've gotten of projects. And then we always have to put an, es- an es- escalator on that because we know that the project's not going to be done this year. Sure. We're forecasting it out. Most of the time when we're applying for grants like this, it's five years out. Right. So it's, uh, it's definitely a planning process uh, to get all these projects uh, funded and figuring out exactly what year we're going to put them in. So we identify the project. We start going after grants. At the same time, uh, at what point do we then start to do some preliminary design work to maybe sharpen our pencil a bit on that initial estimate? Maybe not the full-blown construction, but what's the next step to try to get closer to that being able to turn some dirt? So uh, usually we do that very overview initial estimate. That gets us... Uh, a ballpark estimate of where we're going to be. We use that to apply for all of our grants. Uh, Then once we've got it programmed into the CIP, we've either identified whether we're getting the grant or not. Uh, Then we start scheduling um, in our CIP when the design is going to happen. And that usually happens uh, right around three, maybe four years before the project. Uh, Sometimes it can even go up to right before the year, depending on the size. Um, we currently try to leave an extra year in there if we need to purchase right away for any reason. Uh, when we get into some of the, the downtown areas like Broad Street or things like that, we have the buildings right up next to the roadway. Uh, yep. We always know that we're going to have potentially some type of right away, and we want to plan just in case. We don't sure. we don't like taking right away if we can avoid it. Sure. Uh, we want to stay within what we have already, but sometimes you just can't do that. Sure. So. Um, at that point, we bring on a designer. They're the ones going through the plans, uh, coming up with the design work. And like I said, that's like three years before the project. Right. Uh, then right away usually happens the year before construction uh, and then construction. So we've got the designer working on the preliminary design. We've now applied for grants. So we apply grants from multiple different sources. Can you yes. explain kind of what what type of money is available? You know, uh, maybe not necessarily specific types of programs, but we're... 
talking about multi-million dollar projects generally when we're applying for these types of grants. Correct, yes. Uh, so there's a uh, planning org organization here in the Miami Valley. It's called the Miami Valley Regional Planning Commission. Okay. Um, they're basically a group of counties, cities, townships, uh, villages. Uh, the whole bunch of people can be members of this community. Uh, what they're in charge of is distributing uh, funds that they receive from the state uh, to all the different municipalities and, and townships uh, for these projects. Sure. Uh, so they have a, uh, a funding application cycle. Uh, they have funds that are available every year, so uh, everybody can apply with their projects. They start ranking them based on uh, the type of improvements that they are, how many people they're going to benefit, things like that. Sure. And then uh, after they, they rank all the projects uh, that they received, uh, they start divvying out the money to the top-ranked projects, and uh, wherever you fall is what you get. And depending on if you are asking for complete construction, you get uh, funded, then you get less points than sure. if you're actually putting in match money. Uh, so the more money that we can put forward on uh, out of our pockets actually increases our chances of getting funds from the state. And they just kind of distribute all those funds to whoever applies. So they administer federal and state highway m money for roadway projects. They have multiple different pots of money that we can apply for. And to your credit, our, you guys have always been great about seeking out the right type of money to get to apply to a project. We seem to get funded. Pretty much I don't every think we've year, ever been turned down, right? Because uh, of the way we do well. Yeah, I would say uh, if we usually get at least a project every year, right. um, we may submit two, three. We may sure. not get all three or all two, but uh, we've been getting at least one every single year, which has been very nice. I think it's important to mention also that's a competitive process, not just among, say, Green County, but it's competitive among the multi-county region that the MVRPC is in in charge of. So while there may be millions of dollars, there's hundreds of projects that get submitted. So uh, it's a competitive process and we have to actually rank high enough to get those funds. Yes. So, so kudos to you guys for being really good at that process to secure those, those funds. It's a big benefit. Yes. It uh, really helps uh, extend uh, the funds that we have here currently at the city. Um, yeah. Being able to get a couple million dollars from grants is very helpful. So we've got a project, uh, preliminary design. We've applied for grant money. We've been awarded at least, you know, we get the initial award. You're going to get X number of dollars. The project is then a go. Mm -hmm. What's the next step from there? So, uh, finalizing, uh, if we've got the plans completely finalized, we end up going through the, the bidding process at that point. Okay. Uh, that's where we take all the, the plans, all the final quantities. We kind of put them into a uh, document so that it's easily readable, that contractors can understand it we put it out for bid and let all the contractors that are interested look at the plans see what the project entails uh, they have all the quantities of all the work they can put together unit prices for us so sure. how much it's going to cost them to uh, construct it and then we actually do a public bid so anybody can submit their their bids for the project and then we go through the uh, the process of awarding it to lowest and best bid Let's, let's string that a little bit. Let's, let's expand that. So we've got the preliminary design. We do the final design next. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the same contractor generally that does the preliminary design will do the construction drawings, right? Correct, yes. And those are the difference being what? Uh, more detail at that okay. point. Um, so the initial concepts, they 
pretty much get an idea from the city what we're wanting to do for the sure. project. Uh, then the final designs, they actually go through and make sure everything's correct. So uh, they measure out the exact length of pipe that we're going to be putting in. They okay. look at how many fire hydrants we may, we may be replacing. Um, so they, they get down to the fine detail of pennies of what this is going to cost. Yes. At least their best guess. To the best guess, yes. Okay. And then they also throw contingency funds in there as well because when you're dealing with construction, you're always getting into something that you may not know is there, especially right. when you're doing underground work. Sure. Um, and then they also don't want to underestimate anything either. They want to make sure that when they give us a, a final estimate that uh, we're using for budgeting purposes that we bid this out. We don't come in a million dollars over. Sure. So, sure. Uh, so they're generally conservative in that estimate because they don't want there to be any surprises. Yes. On the back end. Okay. So I know that there are moments when the public can have input with yes. some of these. Is that within that final design phase or is that before it gets to that point when we receive public input, you know, from businesses that are within the construction zone, homes and, and other residents, where are they in that process? So we usually end up having a public meeting, bringing in the public and letting them comment. And it's usually between that initial concept and final plans. Okay. So we still have the ability to make changes to the plans. Um, with Maple, we actually did a public meeting. We weren't uh, set on exactly where we wanted to have the path. We had a couple different options and we wanted to get public's input uh, on where we would like to have the new bike path placed along Maple. Uh, so we had a public meeting for that and brought uh, the public in and let them have comments. And once we got a, I don't want to say a general consensus because everybody has their own opinion of where, what they would like to see. We sure. kind of took the majority and said, okay, this is what we're going to look at installing then sure. and that's what we move forward with so there so, are opportunities then sorry i keep no, you're good. You. You're there good. are opportunities then for the for the public because the decisions aren't just made by us and and in the engineering department of what things are going to look like there are opportunities for the public to say hey you know what we like this or have you have you thought about this uh can we you know maybe move it here because yes we drive this every day um, that's a pretty nice option to have. Yeah, so we are allowed to do certain minor modifications with that. Um, I know at some of the meetings that we have, the, the public does bring up other things that uh, is already past the initial concept. Uh, a lot of people said that we shouldn't be putting a bike path in, things like that, but that was a condition of receiving the grant funds. So it's not something that we could have just completely sure. removed from the plan at that sure. point. So there are some things that the project has to put in that we couldn't remove um, in order to meet all the requirements that we had to meet for the grants. But uh, some of the other comments that, that we receive at meetings, we if we can incorporate them, we usually try to. So That's a great segue. So in this whole process now, we've started at year one. We're probably in year three now right with the final design mm -hmm. getting the quantities put together you mentioned something earlier that i want you to explain a little bit more so we actually have to in some instances acquire more right-of-way yes um and that is a negotiated process how do we do that with residents well uh it, it can be a lengthy process actually so uh, as we're going through the design if there's areas where we've identified that we may need additional right-of-way uh, typically, that can be a 
most of the time is on corners because sure. uh, we have to put in the new ADA compliant curb ramps. Okay. Uh, these are for uh, pedestrians or bicyclists that have uh, disabilities and just uh, is a federal requirement that sure. on any projects we have to put in. Um, and with uh, us being kind of an older town, uh, they weren't actually uh, originally designed like that. So sure. that's usually where we have to uh, purchase the right of way. Uh, but it is a lengthy process. So we go through, we uh, identify those areas. We bring in um, at least one person to do uh, an evaluation of the property. So they look at uh, how much land we're taking, where it's at. They, they find comparable um, sales sure. to see what that land is actually worth. And then they put together a valuation that we then present to the homeowners uh, of uh, how much we would be paying them for that land. They then have a period of time to review it. They can uh, negotiate with the city. Uh, we have to give them uh, so much of time to actually review it before sure. we can uh, continue to move forward through the process. Uh, but it is a, a lot of back and forth with uh, the owner of the property during that process to uh, come to a mutual agreement on the price. Uh, and we, we try to do that as best as possible. Sure. Um, we definitely want to meet with them and make sure that we're they're happy once we're done, that they feel like they've gotten a fair price. Sure. Um, every, not ha it does not happen every time like that, but uh, since I've been here, it has. So sure. uh, everybody's been fairly nice to work with and right away. So, and so we've got a, a consultant that does that for us. That's They're not negotiating with you or any city employee. This is done with a third party that is in, that's a expert yep. at doing this and they negotiate with them. Yes. So okay. we, we hire someone on to do the, the valuation and the, the appraisals. Uh, then we actually hire a company that reaches out to all the homeowners uh, that need right away. They... Uh, they present them all the documents. They deal with them face to face. They make pretty much uh, all the offers, all the agreements. Uh, if there's something specifically that the homeowner wants to include, say we're doing a, a curb ramp on their property and they said that they'd like their yard regraded a little bit to meet the new elevations of the curb ramp. Sure. If that's something that wasn't in the original plans, they'll present that to us and we'll uh, we'll work that into the plans and make sure the homeowner is happy when they're finished. Sure. Uh, so we make the the concessions to in the to meet in the middle with them. So and I don't want people to think that we're acquiring big lots of land when we do this. So talk about typically when we're talking about an acquisition of right of way, it's inches or maybe a foot or maybe two. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a that's really along the edge of the roadway. It's not we're not going fifty feet back into something and buying up to their porch. In most cases, yes, we're talking about little inches of land here that's uh, needed to do the project because we can't do it on somebody's property. Yes, that's yeah. correct. So most of our projects, um, when we're dealing with the state of Ohio, uh, we're not allowed to get onto anybody else's property without having some type of a one work agreement. Right. Um, they typically don't like to have those. They'd rather have a permanent easement there. Sure. Um, so if... Uh, one of the cases we run into frequently in, in dealing with and working with the state of Ohio is uh, the existing right-of-way that the city's allowed to work in yep. is right at the back of sidewalk. Right. Well, you can't really remove sidewalk without getting onto someone's property uh, if it's the back of walk is the right-of-way. Sure. Uh, so some of the time we have to go through and purchase a six-inch right-of-way right along the back of walk 
to make sure that we stay completely off of their property. Sure. Um, so that's things we run into. Uh, other things would be uh, if we're changing elevation of the roadway and the sidewalk elevation changes, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, uh, if they had a, a steep slope coming down from their yard to the sidewalk, well, now it may be steeper. We may have to regrade a little bit uh, to make that slope a little more easily maintained. Sure. So we have to purchase right-of-way easements uh, for work like that. Okay. Um, That's interesting to know. I don't think most people understand that. We say right-of-way acquisition where we're buying land, you know, land to do a project. I think they're thinking we're buying 50 acres to do something here. We're really talking about tenths of an acre yeah if that and sometimes it's not even purchasing it permanently sometimes they're temporary like i said for right. grading if we're if we're changing elevations and we're having to regrade someone's yard we're not going to permanently take that from them but because we're getting onto their yard because we're disturbing things we actually pay them money so that sure. they give us the ability to get on there so it's not a, it's not a lot of money but no. we still end up paying them something and making uh, basically everything right. Sure. You can rip up my yard anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Change the grade, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, we're, we've acquired right-of-way. We've got these plans in place. Now let's get to where I think where we were before. How do we then go about the process? And we're, so from when we started this, where are we? We're year four now, I think, right? Year four is when we're getting ready to award construction, and then year five is construction all right so we're in year four let's let's talk through the we've got a big project how do we go about getting it done okay well we've we've got all of our final plans we've got all our final quantities we've put it out to bid all the contractors have submitted their prices to us and we've selected our consultant okay then we move forward we get it awarded by council and make sure that council is happy with who, who we're going to select sure uh, then we, we move forward with construction. We'll have a pre-construction meeting with them. At that time, we go over their potential schedule. And I'll call it potential because a schedule is always going to end up changing as soon as you hit something. Right. Um, so they give us their preliminary schedule. We go over all the things that they need to submit to us, making sure that uh, all the new storm structures, if they're putting any in, are meeting what the plans are showing. So sure. we, we review those. Uh, we review that they're using all the uh, materials that we require for the job, making sure it's the right pipe material. Right. Uh, and then after we've got all those submitted, they order it, and we start moving forward with construction. Okay. So, and so go ahead, Megan. Sorry. So is it the same contractors that do the road and the pipes if the we need new wire lines or sewer stuff? I mean, is it the same, or do we have multiple? Sometimes. So... There's usually one general contractor that we hire, then they have a bunch of subcontractors if there's specific work that they can't do. Uh, so not everybody's gonna be able to do roadway, water line, traffic signals. So they, they hire who they hire the experts if they can't do it. And so but the interesting thing on our end, we contract specifically just with the general contractor. Mm -hmm. It's up to that organization to get all of their subs and they let us know who those people are going to be. They when do. they make yep. their bid, right? Yes. Okay. So we have a list of whoever they're, whoever they're going to use to do the work if they're not going to. And in some cases, depending on the project, those contractors and subcontractors have to be certified through the state of Ohio to do certain work, correct? Correct, yes. Okay. Um, and when we do the bidding process, is how do we – that's an, an not anonymous, but it's a sealed bid 
uh, they come in. It's a really interesting process, phenomenon, actually. But everybody submits that in blind, essentially. Yep. And we do an opening at one time of all bids, and then yep. how do we evaluate them? So we evaluate them by comparing all of the bids, making sure they've submitted all their required documents. Okay. Uh, we make sure that um, they haven't left anything out. They've given us all their... Um, I guess insurance, insurance paperwork, paperwork making sure yeah. that they're paying prevailing wage or that they have that in there. They have to have a certain percentage of work uh, done by a disadvantaged business or a woman owned business. Okay. Uh, that's a requirement by the state. So we have to go through and make sure that percentage of work uh, is meeting the contract requirements. Sure. Uh, so there's a, a bunch of things that uh, we have to go through and make sure that they're meeting. And then uh, we take a look and see, uh, uh, what their prices are. So sure. uh, we don't always go with the lowest. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, who we're hiring is going to do good work. So we check references. We we call other cities to make sure that they did good work for them. If, we get in, if we're calling cities and they said, well, they left and never finished the job, that's sure. not someone that we're going to want to give a project sure. to. So uh, we, we check all those. And then uh, and we're required just to give the not necessarily just the lowest, but I believe our language is the lowest and best bid, right? Yes. So that's a little, I mean, it's not, we don't just award it to anyone we want. No. There has to be some criteria that we use to make that award. Yes. Okay. Um, a lot of it is we tend to see the same contractors over and over. Sure. Um, so if they've, if we had a really bad experience with a certain contractor, uh, that could be a reason to not award it to them. Sure. Or if we get a lot of, bad references from other cities, that could be another option as well. And if somebody comes in with a crazy low bid, because they know what our engineer estimates the work at when they make the when they make the bid. Correct. So we know they're going to be in that ballpark generally. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's times where we get crazy low bids. Uh, Correct. What do we do in that case? Because, you know, sometimes you're like, well, how did they, you know, what were they using to make this bid? So one of the things that we'll do is we'll, we'll call up, the contractor or the yeah that's yeah. bid the project and make sure that they included everything in their bid because if they left something out of their bid that is a reason that we can sure. forego giving them the project especially if they left out something pretty sizable okay um the the next thing is if they if they come back and said yeah they've gotten everything in the bid and that they're they're confident about that then then we can move forward with it but okay. um Usually that's a red flag if there's a, a huge difference between the lowest bid and the second lowest bid. Sure. And that's good to point out because, you know, we want to make sure that they understand the project before they start because that can just only add to the amount of time mm -hmm. it takes to get that done. Yes. So we've got the project awarded. You mentioned we do pre-construction meetings with the contractor. Um, what's the purpose of that? How does that help kick the project off? So that pre-construction meeting helps kick the project off. Uh, we bring in our police and fire. We usually contact all of the utility companies as well, making sure that, well, first off, they know the project's starting. So sure. if they haven't relocated utilities that they need to relocate, they know that it's starting and they need to get on it. Sure. Um, and then it's basically to get the project started off on the right foot. Okay. Uh, so it, we want to make sure we know what their schedule is, when they're planning on starting, is there any uh, key things that we need to get to them to make sure that we continue to meet that schedule? Sure. Uh, and then figuring out 
what what else we can do to help them move forward and get the project started on the right foot. One of the main things I think people get frustrated with is the maintenance of traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that when we look at projects, how we decide whether we're going to go down to one lane or we're going to close a road or we're going to do a detour. How does that get determined? Well, uh, the first... The first thing we always try to do is we never want to do a detour. We never want to take a road down to one lane unless we have to. Sure. Um, unfortunately, you can't always do that. Right. Uh, and be cost effective. Sure. So um, that being said, uh, first is always keep it open to two-way traffic. If you can't do that, then we want to at least keep one lane open. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, with some of the recent projects, you've seen a lot of detours happening and one-way traffic. And that's just uh, been the nature of that type of construction. Sure. Um, those two, those projects that we've been doing have been basically full reconstructions. So we're digging down over 12 inches right next to the existing roadway. So to try to keep that open to two-way traffic sure. and uh, keep the workers safe, it just wasn't going to be possible without detouring. Uh, so it's, it's not something that we look to do. It's kind of a last resort. Right. Uh, and... Unfortunately, a lot of the projects we've seen here in the last couple of years have had to utilize a detour. I think that's an important point is that, you know, a lot of people, I think, just get frustrated that it's an inconvenience on their part, you know, especially when a road is fully closed. But they don't seem to take into account the people that are actually working on the road. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the road is closed just to maintain the safety of the people working, Right. you know, for any other purpose than that. You know, I know I've received a few phone calls and emails saying, hey, it's just too unsafe to keep this road open right now. We got to close it. Yeah. And, you know, I think I try my hardest to make sure that people understand that of, hey, when you are driving these roads, you got to be careful. Um, and they just don't think about, hey, there's another purpose for us closing a road other than to upset you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and boost your engagement numbers it does boost my engagement numbers but and we we try to be very considerate to the people that actually live along the roadway as sure. well sure. Um, we know that our construction is a huge inconvenience for them right. uh, and i know that we've worked with pretty much every single residence on maple so far and making sure that uh, they have access to their driveway sure. uh, that they can get in and out. And if they have issues, our inspector out there is on top of it. He he works out a solution with them right away. So uh, we do get some phone calls of upset citizens regarding that construction and getting in and out of their driveway. But sure. uh, within one day, we've got it some type of a resolution and um, an, an amenable solution for everybody. So sure. um, I don't think people realize that. And I think a lot of the people that complain yeah. the loudest don't live anywhere near that. Right? So that's what I was going to say. You know, I think some of the, the biggest uh, comments and frustrations we get are from people assuming that, you know, we've not done our due diligence with some of the, the residents who live along some of these roads. And they, they make the assumption that, oh, we're just, you know, making them shelter in their houses because they can't drive on the roads when that's not the case at all. Yeah. And I can say we've, uh, we've put a lot of asphalt wedging on driveways yeah. throughout the construction. That's, uh, it, I mean, we're paying for it, but we're making sure that they have an opportunity to get in and out of their driveway. It's, it's the right thing to do not to make them walk several blocks and park down on a side street somewhere if we can avoid it, but, yes. um, we're doing our best. Sure. So, Let's address kind of the issue that we've been having now 
post-COVID is you'll see projects where we've got guys out, guys and ladies out there working on a continuous basis for several days, and then it's like they've transported to another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Uh, and talk about the challenges that some of these contractors are having uh, that's making kind of that problem worse. Well, uh, it, that... There is a, an issue with that, and a lot of it can be scheduling. So, like I said, we have our general contractor that I'm working with, but he's not doing all the work. He has a subcontractor that does their asphalt paving for him or someone that does the concrete work for him. Sure. Well, they try to schedule that out uh, to whatever degree possible, but if he gets a call from his sub saying, oh, we, we're still on another job, we got rained out several days, we're going to have to push you off a week, yeah. well... If he had it lined up for a specific day and there's nothing else he can do, well, then right. he may end up having to pull off. And he can't just give that contract to another contractor, right? No, because he's committed correct. to giving them the correct uh, work. Sure. I mean, sure. It, for all, all I know, that could be his disadvantaged business and he has to hit a certain percentage of the contract uh, right. and giving them the construction work. So he can't just go ahead and give it to someone else. Uh, he's already committed to that. He's signed contracts with them. Um other issues that we've been running into is uh, supplies. Uh, it's been hard to get traffic paint. It's uh, uh, the asphalt company is telling me they they're having trouble getting workers out there. They can't find people to actually run the equipment and other things. So it's um, it's kind of been a uh, uh, game of playing catch up, trying to. It's moving the chess pieces around the board, right? Trying yeah. to make sure you got everything covered. The thing that I want our folks to know also is that we're not the only project going right now. No. <laughs> I would think every community in this region in the state of Ohio and the country has one roadway project going on at least. Yeah. Right? So we have to compete mm. literally with all with the workforce that is available for all those other projects. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just the materials too. I mean, we're, I've, we got a project going on right now on Colonel Glenn. There is a 25 week lead time to get bricks. Right. for some of the decorative aesthetics. Well, they weren't planning on that. Usually those are in stock. They can get them within a week. Right. Well, if I have to wait half a year before I can get them, I mean, that's a that's something that's not expected. So we're, sure. we're trying to work around all of this, but that's not just our project. It's every project. That's right. So. so we're in year five now. Construction has started. Construction typically takes how long? One to two years, depending on the complexity of the project depending on the complexity yes uh we tend to try to keep them right around the one year mark sure um but when you start a project in august or september you're really not it's not easy to finish it by the end of the year so they usually go through winter uh that's one of the things that uh, i think we're going to try and look at is seeing if there's a possibility for us to start them earlier in the year so sure. start projects in March and see if we can finish them in one calendar year versus going through over multiple years. That's a. I have a separate question for that, but I understand where you're going. Yes, the timing is the issue. Yes, and um, unfortunately, uh, the state fiscal year starts in July, so we get all of our funds then. So it's uh, kind of uh, working around everybody's schedule on when funds are available and trying to get them started as soon as possible and finished as soon as possible. So it's a... And so if we have grant money like that, that doesn't start for a certain time, it's not like we can go and spend our own money and get reimbursed. We can't physically no. start that project until the money is available, correct? Correct, yes. So that's why if anybody listening, the 13 people that follow us, 
<laughs> we we don't start a lot of projects till after July one because that's when the money becomes available. available. So, so either we try to do that then or figure out okay, do we wait until the next spring? Put a six month delay on it and right. say we're going to start it in awarded in January and start in March. And right. depending on what type of project, um, sometimes that's doable. Sometimes it may not be doable. Sure, sure. So we've so everything goes great. We have the construction is all complete. We open the roadway back up. It's been a new road. It's completely rebuilt. Everything's gorgeous. From the time we first started talking about that to the time we open that road up, what's our how long have we waited to get that project done? Uh, Probably six, could even be approaching six and a half, seven years, depending on when the project actually started construction. So it's it's a long, long yeah. time. And folks, don't, I don't think anybody has any idea that, that takes that long to do it. I think they think we decide at the beginning of the year we're doing Maple Avenue, we go out there in July and start working. And that's absolutely not the case. Well, and what I think is interesting is we have the five-year capital plan, you know, on the website. Mm -hmm. And it gets updated every three years, right? Is that correct? It's updated every, every, every year. year. Sorry, every year. Um, you know, and it's always funny when, when new people move in, but they've been here for at least five years and they're like, well, I don't ever remember seeing this on the plans or I don't, you know, I didn't know this was happening. Well, I mean, there's a seven year process. And, and if you're right. coming in on, you know, year five of the process, it's yeah, you're, you're not going to know about gonna some of this stuff. Yeah. So it's just, it's interesting. And don't take this the wrong way, Lee, but roadway projects isn't necessarily sexy. Mm. <laughs> right? I mean, it's not like, it, unless it affects you directly and you're going to have a street that's being torn up in front of you, most people don't pay attention to that calendar and don't really have it in any frame of mind until they can't drive on that road because right. mm -hmm. it's being constructed. So that's part of the frustration I think that a lot of people feel is it seems like it's all of a sudden when we were planning that seven years ago, six years ago. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, another part of the uh, frustration would be duration of the project. And we understand that it's it's long, but um, with the fact that we're actually trying to think of the corridor as a whole, and we're doing water lines, storm, right. sanitary if we need to, curbs, gutters, sidewalks, roadway, right. uh, we could make these projects go faster. I could just do a strict resurfacing on it, right. but if I don't take the whole corridor and all those other utilities into account, I could be back there in two years fixing water main breaks, which we right. definitely don't want to do. That's kind of absolutely shooting ourselves in the foot at that point. Absolutely. So uh, the fact that they are taking this long, it's, it's an inconvenience, but it should save us in the long run. So oh, absolutely. And I will say that I drove Maple uh, yesterday, North and South from Doris to my home. And it was, as smooth as smooth could be. So some on social media would say too smooth. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, too smooth. yes, because you can't win either way, yeah. right? I mean, you can't it's, win it's for losing. But it looks it looked really nice, and the resurfacing of it looks fantastic from from where it had been. So well, we're uh, we're looking forward to wrapping that project up right. uh, there on uh, I guess it's south north south Maple. I guess right. um, striping should be occurring here um, next week. So. And so the interesting thing that we want to point out to people, too, is when you have a, a road that is that long, I mean, Maple is multiple miles long, mm -hmm. we can't afford to do the project in one fa one big phase. It just no. is impractical to do that. So we sometimes have to break a, a major road like that into 
two, three, four or, phases, depending on what we can do from a budget standpoint. Yes. So that's why people are frustrated because we just table. finished one. We're tearing <laughs> the other part of it up. Why would you do that? Well, well, it's expensive. It is expensive. And doing it like we did, half, then the other half, it's going to be finished in two years. And then hopefully we're not back there for another 20, 25 years. Right. Uh, and at that point, we should just be doing asphalt. We wouldn't need to do right. curbs. We wouldn't need to do uh, sanitary sewer, water line, all that. It's already done. We're just strictly doing the surface and aesthetic things. And I'm asking a question I don't know the answer to, so I could be way wrong on this, but by breaking it up into two projects, can we essentially leverage more grant funds that way? Because we're applying for a bigger percentage, we're paying for a bigger percentage of each project, so we get more money doing it separate than we would trying to do it together. Is that fair to say? I would I say, up, I would say yes, okay. we, we would be able to, I mean, if you think about it, uh, we're not just reaching always into uh, that regional planning commission's pot of money. Right. We actually go out to other for sources too. We go to OPWC, which is the Ohio Public Works Commission. Right. Um, so we leverage other funds that if I would have went to one project for Maple for OPWC, I would have been limited by up to probably a million dollars of grant funds. Right. But now breaking it into two, I can get a million for this one and a million for this one. So yes. So we we not, that may not, the math may not work out exactly the way <laughs> The potential is there for more grant money than we would have if we'd done it in one project. Correct. Okay. So we did it. That was fun. Thanks for doing that thing. That was kind of interesting <laughs> to, to go through that. Yeah. Let's talk about the other street projects that we do that maybe don't take seven years to do. So if we've got a street, like you said, that really is just starting to crumble and it isn't necessarily failing, but it's just kind of the pavement is not the best. What's the process then for that street to get resurfaced? How long does that take to go through that process and what criteria do we use to choose who gets what? Okay. Uh, we actually, every three years, we do a pavement condition rating. Okay. Uh, that's where we drive all the streets with a, a vehicle. They use lasers to measure all the cracking, all the distresses in the pavement. And then they basically prepare a database and a table for us that has all of our streets. It says uh, how bad they're cracking and gives them a rating. So they're all compared equally to each other rather than one of someone from my staff going out and looking with their eyes saying, I think this one's bad. This one may be a little worse. So they're all sure. compared apples to apples. Okay. Uh, so we use those ratings then to look at our worst streets. Uh, we also look at which ones have been resurfaced here uh, with levy funds. We're trying to focus uh, on the remaining streets that haven't been resurfaced with any levy funds. Sure. Uh, so those are kind of our two criteria. And then we start looking at uh, scheduling those for resurfacing in the next year. We try to go worse to first, but like I said, if it needs full reconstruction, it may not be done this year, it may be pushed off a year, so I can save some other streets that don't need full reconstruction. Sure. Um, but then we'll come up with a, a list of streets from starting at the, the ones that are the worst to the best. Okay. Uh, and we'll see which ones we can do with... Uh, amount of money that we amount have. of money that we have, and then at that point we go out and take a look at all the roadways. Uh, we do a after we've identified which ones are the worst, we we drive them all first to make sure that we are picking correct ones and that sure. it wasn't some just one bad patch in an area that made a, the road look bad. Um, that we could get away with doing a minor fix there, sure. and 
Uh, we add all those to our list and we, we move forward. Okay. Um, at that point, we do our curb sidewalk approach assessments. Uh, we go out and we look at curb sidewalk drive approaches and ADA curb ramps on every single street that we've selected to be resurfaced. Okay. This way we can make sure we're addressing um, safety issues. If there's trip hazards out there, we're putting in new compliant ADA curb ramps. Uh, if there are um, curb sections that are going to affect the drainage of the roadway or uh, if it's going to allow water to get underneath the roadway and cause the roadway to deteriorate faster than what it should, we look at fixing those. Uh, so we mark all those and we come up with uh, costs uh, that would be assessed to the owners for those uh, repairs that sure. we end up taking to council and get those approved. Uh, we do all that concrete work, all that ADA work, uh, the year before we resurface. Okay. Uh, so we want to have all that done so that all we have to do is come through and mill and resurface a roadway. Okay. Uh, and we don't want to do it afterward because we don't want them cutting into the brand new pavement. Sure. So it's kind of another way that we're making sure that we limit the amount of cuts coming into our roadways. Sure. And so that's a two-year process maybe yes. at, at worst when we do that. Okay. How long does a, a resurfacing last? Uh, we estimate uh, when we're doing our forecasting that a roadway surface should last about 20 years. Oh, wow. um, that is, of course, that we're making sure we're doing proper maintenance sure. uh, to the roadways as well. Uh, when we're when we see cracks popping up after resurfacings, we want to make sure that we're we're sealing those. Water is the biggest detriment to our pavement, sure. uh, so that's one of the things that we try to get out there to do is uh, seal all the cracks, seal the uh, the pavement to the gutter plates. Um, another process that we do is we do like a uh, I call it basically like a Thompson's water seal for our pavements. Uh, we pay a company to come out and they put this liquid down that basically makes the the asphalt pavement kind of waterproof um it's been very helpful it's a pretty cheap process overall uh, and actually allows our pavements to extend the, the life of them uh, at a very cheap cost so called rejuvenator is that rejuvenator, the rejuvenator yes good, good. see megan you're learning Aaron, stuff all the time <laughs> we we covered crack sealing when we talked public works but i think it's important to know that Asphalt, by its very nature, is going to crack. It is, right? yes. Just eventually, the yeah, eventually the weight that's on it, the sun hitting it, the water hitting it, the ice getting on it, the scraping with snowplows, it's going to crack. Yes. Uh, and we, in us, in our minds, and in your professional opinion, and the professional opinion of engineers worldwide, sealing that crack before you do a full resurfacing is the most beneficial way to spend our resources. It's very cost pay. effective. Okay. Uh, same thing with that asphalt rejuvenator. Right. Basically what it's doing is over time that asphalt gets brittle. Right. From the sun, from the cars driving on it, and it starts to crack. Well, what that rejuvenator does is it seals it. It basically lets the water shut off, but it also puts back uh, the chemicals into that asphalt to make it a little more flexible. Okay. So what it's doing is making that pavement a little more flexible so it can give and bend a little bit more sure. rather than it being brittle and it's going to break and fracture. So huh. uh, by being able to put that on there, it's sealing it to keep the water out, and then it's making it more flexible so that it has a longer life. 
It's like lotion, road lotion. Yes. Road lotion. I like it. Sounds like a college band. So let's talk about the curb and sidewalk program too. So we do that ahead of time because we want to make sure that we're taking a comprehensive approach to these roadway repairs and where we have areas where curbs have been damaged and sidewalks and curb approaches or driveway approaches are cracked. We want to make sure that that's all brought back to the the standard that we need it to be. Yes. We assess those costs to the property owners uh, and have, it's been our policy to do that since the beginning of time. Since Um, I can remember. Right. So we talk about that a little bit. So property owners have multiple ways that they can perform that work. They can either have our contractor do it when they do the rest of it, or they have their own, they can do it on their own, correct? Yeah. So we put together the list of all the properties that need some type of concrete work. Uh, we send uh, an estimate to them. So we, we put together an estimate based off our costs from the previous year. Sure. Uh, so they have an idea of how much it's going to cost. And we give them a letter and basically states that they have a couple options. One, they can do nothing. Just yeah. let it sit there. If they don't get back with us, we'll go ahead and put it on our project and we'll have our contractor do the work. Um, they'll pay the unit cost uh, that everybody else is paying. Sure. And once the work's finished, we'll go ahead and send them a bill for it. They'll have, I think it's six months to pay that bill. And if whatever they can put toward that bill, they can pay. Yeah. And whatever's left, they can get assessed to their taxes. So that's and one And over time. And pay it over time. five years. Okay. Uh, we give them the option of taking uh, the quantities that we gave them. They can go ahead and find a, a contractor that they would like to do the work, have them do it. And at that point, we'll take them off the list and everything's good. Sure. Or if they're very handy and they want to try and do it themselves, they're more than welcome to try and do it themselves. There's not a lot of people that have the right tools, but sure. um, there are a couple of people that have uh, children or neighbors or other people that have done that work and sure. they, they do it themselves and everything turns out nice. So. As long as they do it to our standard, it doesn't matter. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and then we've actually had neighborhoods that get together and they hire their own contractor and do a whole neighborhood. Sure. So um, there's several options that we give them. You know, I think uh, I think the answer that I would say to most people is to why, why do I have to pay for that work when, it, when it's done at my house? I think the answer that I would give is you could pay for it one of two ways. You can either pay for it when it affects you directly as part of your property and pay it in a property tax or upfront over time, or we can raise your taxes every year mm-hmm. and you can pay it over a period of for, forever in a tax and it may or may years. not directly affect you or directly benefit you at the time. So, but it will when you we get, it to, will your when we get to your street. So it's either pay it directly when it affects you at, at the current or pay it over time. My guess is you're probably going to make out better by doing it when we assess it to you because you're not paying for everybody else's curbs. No. Right? So I think that's a question a lot of people ask is, well, why do they? Why do you bill me for it? That's something the city should do. And that certainly is something the city could do. But I would argue it's going to cost you more in terms mm-hmm. of taxes because we'd have to levy some type of a tax to do that. Yeah. Then it would be more than what you would pay if you just did it when it came around. It's got to cost something. Correct. Somebody's got to pay it. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to pay it one way or the other. People aren't going to like that answer, but that's exactly no, yeah. Yeah. the truth. And when we're doing just your property, we're only doing what needs done. Correct. We're so not replacing not. all curbs and all gutter or all no. sidewalks. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was thanks for doing that, Lee. That was a good exercise here. So I think we just have a few more uh, questions to ask you. So engineering encompasses more than just streets. 
uh, there's a couple of different things. We have a GIS department. We do, yes. Uh, talk about that and what what <clears throat> benefit that gives us and what benefit it is for the public. Okay. Uh, well, a GIS department, that's our geographical information system. Uh, basically, that's our database of everything that the city owns for the most part. Okay. Uh, so we have all of our water line in there. We have all of our sanitary sewer, traffic signals, ADA curb ramps. Uh, we're in the process of getting all of our roadways imported into GIS currently. Uh, so once we're finished with that this year, we'll actually be able to upload that to the city website and you'll be able to go on and see what your street rating is wow. um, compared to everybody else in the city. Sure. So you won't actually have to call my department and say, when's my street getting done? You can go on and look and say, well, okay, well, the, all these streets over here are actually worse than mine. So I, I may not be up right away, but I can see where I kind of compare. Sure. Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty enormous database. Sure. Um, but it's actually a database that is um, spatially located. So we can actually go on there and zoom into certain intersections, see everything that's in that intersection and a, around where it is to within couple a couple feet. feet. Yes. Okay. Uh, and we have, like I said, everything in there from traffic signals to fire hydrants to all of our utilities. Uh, and we're continually trying to update that and make sure that it is accurate. So if we see something that's wrong with it, uh, we're we're making those adjustments and changes. Uh, I'm gonna put you can. on the spot. If somebody says I live at one two three Clover, mm -hmm. can you make me a map of my property with all that stuff on it? Can I get that from you? You you could call in and we will do our best. Uh, there are some things that we're still trying to put in there. Sure. Uh, we don't all we don't have all the, like the laterals from the mains coming into the houses. That's sure. not something that was originally captured. So we're we're trying to work on that currently, but. Uh, if you called into our office and asked to know where the water mains and the sanitary sewer and all the storm structures are, yes, that is something we could give you. I want to be very clear, though. It's not a survey. This is not necessarily surveyed information. No. So if you're using that map to determine where to put a fence because you're in a dispute with your neighbor, that's, that's not, not what right. we're doing. We do not have property pins that's on right. there. Okay. We. This is uh, kind of an overlay from the county. It's not exact for those items, sure. um, but other items we do have exact locations. And it's really just for our edification, our information. When we go to do projects, we kind of know what's in the ground before we start digging somewhere. Yes, yeah, it helps us lay things out. So if we're looking to replace a water line, we know we can't put it where the old water line was. We, sure. we put it somewhere else where we know it's going to fit. And I will give Green County credit because they have actually have a very good GIS tool online that they has do, the yes. entire county. Again, not a survey, but if you want to see some of your property information, they get parcel specific there. Uh, I would recommend going to the Green County Auditor site for the GIS. It's terrific. It's an amazing website. We yeah. use it a lot. So Good. Uh, one other thing that we do that Megan mentioned, we do traffic signals. Yes. Talk about that. Like, what kind of stuff do we do with regard to signals? And that's a not a small project, I would imagine. No, we have a significant number of traffic signals in the city. Uh, so we have a database of all those, when they were installed, all types of uh, improvements and upgrades, and when those were put in for each traffic signal. Okay. Um, we also manage coordination between traffic signals. So we have a couple different corridors that uh, we kind of time correctly together to make sure that if you start at one end, uh, you should be able to drive most of the corridor without stopping at every single signal um, Great. to try to improve efficiency. Uh, so, speed play into that. 
<laughs> yeah, speed will play into that because you, you coordinate it based off speed limits and other things. So if you're doing faster than the speed limit or slower, you will hit more signals for sure. Um, I but, just know that when I am going south on Central to turn left on Xenia to go east, I always get stopped at Maple. Every time. It just never fails. Just always get stopped. Because it's not time for that. It's time for to continue Xenia from start to finish, not Maple. But uh, it's always one of those things where I'm like, I can either floor it and try to make it, <laughs> which I'm not willing. I'm not doing that. Don't think I'm doing that. Yeah. Or I can just, you know, realize I'm going to get stopped at Maple. Just mm -hmm. it's going to happen. But yeah. Right. So, but yes, we, uh, we have a database of all of our traffic signals. Uh, we also look at um, periodically our traffic signals. We want to make sure that uh, one, that the traffic signals are there for a reason, that sure. um, it's not, traffic hasn't changed its patterns and it's not needed anymore. So sure. we do evaluations of our traffic signals. Um, there's not too many of them that aren't warranted there, but there are a couple. And uh, I know we've discussed. We've actually and, taken out one recently. We have, uh, yes. Main Street and Wright Avenue. Correct. Um, what goes into that evaluation to determine if we want to take it out or not? So we take a look at the signal. There's uh, basically seven different criteria that we look at for signals in, to, for it to be there. Uh, one is you just got to make sure that there's an, enough traffic there to warrant it. Sure. Uh, if the side road doesn't have a lot of traffic, then there's really no need to, to put a signal there. Sure. Um, so that was one of the, the signals that we looked at. It really didn't meet any of the warrants for a traffic signal at that time. There's not a huge volume of side road traffic, not a lot of pedestrians down at that end that would warrant a traffic signal. Uh, so uh, for that process, if, if it's not warranted, then we can go through the process of removing it. Uh, that process, we basically put up some signs and let people know that we're evaluating the signal. Yeah. Uh, they usually put it on flash for a while and kind of treat it like stop signs. Um, and then they can go through the process of actually removing the signals with stop signs up, seeing how it works and evaluating it as a stop intersection. Right. And then if everything continues to uh, move in the right direction and it's, it's working good, then they can do the permanent removal and put permanent stop signs up. And a lot of that is it just doesn't make sense to try to replace that signal yeah, because it's not an inexpensive proposition. Yeah. So usually we only go through this process when a signal is reaching the end of its life. Sure. Um, so that one was actually getting very old. I think it was getting close to 50 years old. Sure. Um, and we determined that we were getting to the point where we need to replace it. Well, uh, spending a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars to replace a signal, if it's not needed, this doesn't seem like a good use of money. Sure. Um, so at that point, that's when we looked at removing it and found that it it could be removed, and we went ahead and moved forward with removing the traffic signal. I'll put you on the spot. One thing that I've noticed in Fairborn that we use a lot specifically in our neighborhoods is if you have neighborhood streets, we don't use a lot of stop signs. We use yield signs. What's the, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the theory behind the yield versus the stop? Um, they're pretty, pretty similar. Yeah. Um, in the mo for the most part, um, Rolling stop. Rolling. Most people really don't stop at stop signs, as you've said anyway. Um, but uh, a lot of people think that um, stop signs can be used for traffic control. Right. Um, that if you go ahead and put a stop sign up, you're going to calm traffic speeding through the neighborhoods when right. you really don't. Um, 
but uh, essentially the yield sign is just more of a uh, a way to keep traffic moving and still be safe. You're yeah. not coming to that complete stop. You're um, if you have a lot of good sight distances and you can see people coming, um, then a yield sign is a really good option to use because you're being more efficient with gas and everything else. It's more um, just an attention getter while you're approaching an intersection. Yes. Okay. You mentioned something I want to address here. I know a lot of folks mentioned to me, can you just put a speed bump on my street to calm the traffic? Um, talk a little bit. I mean, Typically, my answer is, well, you know, that takes an engineering study to figure out you know, the usual yeah. stuff that it does. And that isn't something I can just say yes or no to off the fly. I don't want to get into a traffic engineering debate with you, but I'm not a big fan of speed bumps, uh, speed tables. I think it's been shown that those don't necessarily calm traffic. It speeds traffic up between them. Yep, so it makes it more dangerous as you're transversing those. But what, so when people ask for those types of things for traffic calming, uh, what role do you guys play in those types of discussions? Uh, we kind of facilitate the discussion. Okay. Uh, so we have a traffic safety committee that meets uh, once every two months uh, on topics like this. Yeah. Um, and from what the, the way that kind of goes is if we do get a request, uh, we go out and take a look at it. Uh, okay. One of the first things that we end up doing is doing a speed study there. Uh, typically, you won't see us do a speed study. We kind of right. do a stealth one because we want to make sure that we're getting uh, the actual speed of traffic out there on the roadway. Sure. Uh, a lot of the complaints that the city does get um, are for speeding traffic. But when we do a traffic study, um, everybody's usually within about five miles per hour of the speed limit. Right. Um, not everybody, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but uh, what the goal is to have about 85% of traffic be at the speed limit or within five miles per hour of okay. the speed limit. Uh, you will get people that'll do a lot higher, but sure. you can't design for everybody like that. For 2% of the yes. people that drive the road. Um, so that, that's usually what we end up doing first. Uh, if, if there is a bigger issue and they are 85% are traveling higher than that uh, within five miles per hour of the speed limit, then that's when we actually start looking at things. Sure. Uh, just going out and installing speed bumps or speed tables, um, there's a lot of issues with just doing that. Sure. Um, one of the biggest issues is police and fire. They really do not like them. Right. Um, our maintenance garage does not like them because uh, it it's does terrible. a lot of damage to very expensive fire trucks if yes. they have to go over them. Correct. Um, that is... They don't exactly drive slow. They don't. They're usually some of the ones <laughs> doing the over... They they're the ones definitely going over that 85% going through the neighborhood to get there right. so they can save a life. They damage them um, on normal streets. So, right. so, uh, so we do talk with them uh, you, with every single one of these requests that we get. It's, it's not just me going out there and just saying no. Uh, we sure. deal with our street department. We talk with police. We talk with fire. We uh, we bring everybody into the mix and bring all that data from the speed study to show what's actually going on out there, and then we start doing evaluations. Um, and usually it's uh, some other type of issue of why they're speeding through there. Sure. Um, not necessarily something that a, a speed table may calm because, like you said, if someone slows down for a speed bump or a speed table, uh, from what we've seen is they usually 
try to make that time up between them. Sure. Um, so they're not as effective as most people would like to think. Um, and a lot of, like I said, the issues are, they're not driving that much more than the speed limit. It's kind of a perceived issue rather than an actual issue. And I would say, uh, so I'm a traffic calming nerd, I guess. I kind of, that's my passion. Part of what I did is part of my career. I think people, cars look a lot faster in times than, than they actually are going. So I think, you know, if it's a 25 mile per hour speed limit, 25 miles per hour looks pretty fast. If you're standing on and watching a car. Right drive. next to the roadway. What I would recommend, and I'll use your expert opinion is, the big, best traffic calming is people parking on the street. Correct. If you narrow the physical lanes that people can drive down, they tend to slow down. Correct. So parking on the street is probably the best traffic calming you could do. In neighborhoods, correct. Right. I would agree. Okay. Good. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you before, and I should ask you before we started the whole thing with street projects. We're doing this at council soon and doing it at the planning board now. We have a thoroughfare plan. We do, yes. So we have a plan that, and we haven't messed with it in a while. Yeah. Uh, but we've got a plan that we're adopting and that we modify from time to time that talks about what we want our streets to look like, right? Correct, yes. Talk about that a little bit. Okay, well, uh, we, the plan that we have, it, it takes into account all of our major roadways. Right. So arterials, collectors, uh, the ones that have the highest volume of cars on them. Uh, and what this thoroughfare plan does is it, it classifies them into different categories and then basically shows or tells us how we want those roadways to look. Okay. Um, we want to start uh, incorporating all modes of transportation into our, our, our network. So we want to look at vehicles, but not only vehicles, we want to make sure bicyclists and pedestrians also have the same ability to use all of our roadways, all of our corridors. Right. Uh, so we incorporated all these into our plan. Um, we also looked at speed of roadways. Uh, we want to build our roadways so that people feel comfortable biking, walking, and driving. Sure. Um, we designed and put together this plan to make sure that we're, we're not looking at trying to put bike lanes on a 45 mile an hour roadway. You're, you're just not going to feel comfortable sure. biking next to a, a car doing 45. But if it's 35 or 30, a bicycle lane, you can feel a little comfortable, but we uh, we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to use every single corridor, and um, we know that not everybody has a car. Sure. So we have plenty of citizens in the city of Fairborn that walk and bike places, and they need to be able to get to the grocery store and, and everywhere else too. So we're we're taking them into consideration now as we're doing improvements to our roadways, making these. Uh, new plans for the larger construction, like on Maple and Broad Street and everything sure. else. And we take that plan into consideration when we do development. So as new neighborhoods are developing, as we start to build houses east of, uh, of our city, we take these thoroughfare plans into account when we consider whether or not to approve a development out there and whether or not the roadway can handle that. When we build a new high school and the roadway that the high school is on, mm -hmm. is that appropriate to carry the load? We, so we this is a document that we consider and we refer to uh, when we start to think about how we want our city to develop. It is, yes. And when they're coming in and making a development, if they have to make improvements to the roadway, this helps guide us. Right. So if the roadway calls to be, if it's two lanes now and 
Um, the thoroughfare plan calls for it to be three lanes. If they're going to develop along there, they're going to make some of those improvements to three lanes so that it's going to meet our future needs. That's a great point. That's a great point. Good. Anything I missed? Megan, anything you want to? I think we've hit about everything. Lee, I appreciate your time. We will put some of this information that we talked about in the show notes. So as people are listening to the podcast, they can click through and look at some of those things. Um, we just ask for grace, right? Yeah. As, as people are traversing our roads that are under construction, we just ask people to be patient. Be patient a little bit. Please slow down. Protect our workers out there. They're they're doing the work for us. It's it's they're not the city workers, but we've hired them to do it. And uh, the last thing we want is an accident. We want everybody going home and being safe and making it home to their families. We don't want to have an accident. And the payoff is worth it, right? I mean, I think we look at Kaufman and we look at the roundabout, uh, which is the scourge of Fairborn, or so as I was told before it was going to be constructed. The payoff is immense, yeah. right? It just it's a better appearance, it's better traffic flow, it's more safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's just a better thing. It's just a, a little bit of patience until yeah. we can get there is all we ask for. And pride. And uh, I would also say that if there's anybody out there that is listening and you guys have thoughts or ideas for future projects, feel free to reach out to Rob, to us. Let us know what you guys <laughs> would like to see. I mean, it, this is not just engineering coming up with projects either. We want input from everybody. We want, we want to make sure that we're building the city that you guys want to live in. So Roundabout in every intersection. If that's what we want, I will put them in. So, I mean, it, it can fit most places. I'm just saying. I know. Yeah. I know. And I, I'm all I like roundabouts. They they flow really really nicely in the situations if you use them correctly. Absolutely. So, um, somebody's gonna take that snippet. And <laughs> right. Roundabouts everywhere. We're gonna have. They said on the podcast, we're gonna have roundabouts everywhere. All right. All right. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate it, Megan. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Government Ops podcast, and we'll see you around town. Thanks for having me.